1: Hi everybody, welcome to
2: Dan Snow's History. I'm on the deck of the Agulus II, an Antarctic research vessel based in South Africa heading down into the Antarctic. I'm recording this podcast because we have arrived at the ice. Just a little bit earlier I was staring out over the bows, I saw a line of discoloured white and grey on the horizon and we've arrived at the pack ice. We're about 67 degrees south, we are in the western weddell sea this is probably one of the most southerly podcasts ever recorded history hit coming to you from inside the antarctic circle uh, in this episode i'm going to be walking around the ship talking to a couple of people about the expedition letting you know how it's going telling you about the ship itself as we prepare to reach the endurance wreck site put down the autonomous underwater vehicles and start searching Shackleton's Endurance which was crushed in these waters in 1915 and sank at the end of that year. If you wish to watch videos of what's going on please head to the History Hit TikTok, my Instagram page at the History Guys Instagram page and if you want to watch our long-form documentary we're producing about Shackleton, about his epic journey before and after the Endurance sank, then you get a History Hit TV. It's our digital history channel, our Netflix for history. You just follow the link in the description of this podcast. You click on that, you get two weeks free if you sign up today. But in the meantime, folks, here's my first podcast from the Agulus in the Weddell Sea. Enjoy. So I'm just standing on what they call the monkey deck, high up in the ship's superstructure. I'm looking out, I can see a big tabular iceberg there. It's what Shackleton called a tabular iceberg. Probably three miles away. It's enormous. I mean, it's as big as a small island off the coast of Scotland. You could could happily live on there. Um, We've also got these little growlers, they're called, these tiny little icebergs, little fragments of icebergs. Some' are bigger than the football some as big as a car and, and bigger of course these these were the ones that they lie low in the water you almost can't see them above the wave tops and they were capable of puncturing the wooden hull of Shackleton's ship he's always very worried about these growlers now we found that these uh, icebergs we've reached the ice a lot further south than Shackleton experienced when he arrived here in late 1914 he, he, the ice was very far north for him it was a very big ice year for Shackleton, and that's one of the reasons he never made it to the Antarctic. He got trapped in the ice in the Weddell Sea, the ice enclosed his ship. If you go back and listen to last week's uh, mini-series, you can hear the story of Shackleton. I'll assume you've done that. So as you'll know, he was encased in the ice here, it was a big ice year. Less ice this year, although still hundreds of thousands of square kilometres of ice lie just to our south and west now. So I'm just going to go down, I'm going down the companion, I'm going down the stairs here, I'm going to have a look at the stern deck. On the stern, I'll give you a little guided tour here. We've got the uh, heli deck, got a big old lifeboat which I'm looking at now It's going to come in use, if we end up in there we'll be in trouble but hopefully we won't. It's a gigantic steel icebreaker. I'm going down to the heli deck now, gigantic H painted on the back of the ship. On board the ship we've got two helicopters, we've got a bell, which is a passenger carrying helicopter we've got a heavy lift helicopter Uh, both of those are to move the underwater drones to ice camps should we need to deploy from ice rather than from the back of the ship uh, we can do so using those helicopters it's a heck of an operation here i'm coming to the stern now and they're practicing the launch and retrieval of the drones the gantry at the back is down the hydraulic rams are pushed out so we've got this structure leaning over the stern now and they're hanging things off it the undersea team are hanging things off it they're practicing running their cables through it's a bit, bit like canal fishing there's, there's a float um and that, so they're running a umbilical a fiber optic umbilical 25 kilometers long through a float down to the drone beneath the surface. So the drone and the umbilical doesn't get sort of snarled up with the, uh, with the ship and with the propellers at the back. Anyway, come, let's come forward here. We're just chugging along very slowly through the ice. So we get able to slow down because these obviously icebergs and growlers aren't great for the hull to smash into them. So we're, it's impossible to avoid. They're so thick on the surface here. Coming to the bows of the ship. And it's just a sea of ice. It's a sea of It's it's very calm, it's an oily surface. It's almost freezing. Sea ice forms at minus 1.8 degrees centigrade. So I imagine the surface of the water is about that temperature. It's a mixture of ice uh, and just slightly open bits of water. And we're just slowly pushing through it now. Uh, And we're almost at the wreck site. It's very, very exciting indeed. So I'm I'm gonna go and enter the ship itself through these watertight doors. there we go. Tell you what, it's very cold though, it's about minus five, a little bit of wind. Oh, it's nice coming inside. Let's get this close. Right, so let's close. And now I'm gonna make my way up to the bridge. It's about five stories above. So here we go, and we'll have a look at and we'll have a look at some of the charts and see what's going on there. Here we go. Right, that's at level 10. Here we're up at the bridge, open the big old safety dot. There we go. Right, love it up here. Come to look at the charts and the radar because we've entered the Weddell Sea. Visibility isn't great, but we can see big icebergs now. I just wrote a very interesting fact I'll show you about the Weddell Sea. Scientists from the Alfred Wegener Institute in Germany have discovered that the Weddell Sea, which I am sailing across now, has the clearest water of any sea on planet Earth. They were able to conduct an experiment where they were able to see clearly 80 meters 80 metres through the water. That's wild. This was on, in October 1986, they performed this experiment, and therefore they've worked out that the water here in the Weddell Sea, this water I'm looking out at now, has got the same clarity as distilled water, water that's been through a distillation process. So that's where we are, folks. It's not like anywhere else on earth. Next up, let's have a quick check-in with John Shears, who is the head of this expedition. So, John Shears, I'm sitting in your cabin. You've got a forward-facing uh, window, porthole there. So we're looking at the slightly strengthening southerly breeze now hitting us as we enter the Weddell Sea. How many times this now as we head, to, head into Antarctica? What, what, uh, what number is this for you?
3: I think this is my 25th expedition to Antarctica. I've lost count.
2: Why do you keep coming back here?
3: I, I love it. The environment here is just so, so different to anywhere else on Earth. Uh, such a challenge getting here, and also the people that you meet. Uh, once you've done it once, then you keep on having this urge to come back again.
2: As an Antarctic hand, the history seems to mean something, you know, whether it's Shackton, Scott, Bellingshausen, um, Filchner, and then more recently Ranolf Fieser. It's a place where you guys really, the history seems to matter to you.
3: Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, you are following in the footsteps of polar greats and. Uh, when you read the incredible story of survival, Shackleton and his men on the endurance expedition, it still fascinates me now. Each time you read it, you think, how on earth did they survive? It's difficult enough now, you know, over 100 years later with our modern technology that we have. But in a, a, you know, wood, a small wooden sailing ship, no communication with home, uh, they had to rely just on what they had, and then they lost the ship. So to get out of that alive... It's just an incredible story of survival. What do you
2: think is the key to that? Were they just tougher and hardier than we were? Did they get used to it? What's some, what are some of the secrets to their survival?
3: Well, there's a phrase that's sometimes used about uh, Shackleton and his men and the, the times that they're in that uh, when the ships were made of wood and the men were made of steel. So I think there was definitely that element that, 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 that there were certain characters. They certainly had this inner determination and strength and courage for what they wanted to do. Um, so they had that, but I'm not sure that they were that much different to us now. I think there's a, a lot of that in the expedition team that I can, I can see now, that where people would, would be prepared to put up with a lot of hardship. Well, they already are, but in a slightly different way. We've had to face things like COVID, for example, just to get here. So people have made lots of sacrifices just to get on this expedition. People don't have that uh, way of dealing with the environment uh that they had then but don't forget that these these men were all professional seamen so they would have been at sea for you know since they were young boys so they were used to some of the elements
2: shagaton his leadership is the thing that people talk about we all mess about having a great old time doing our selfies but do you have do you have the weight of that leadership on your shoulders is it it lonely up here in this cabin when you're responsible for the lives and the and the health and the well-being of, of so many people under your command
3: no, I know I don't feel lonely. I know I've got a very good team around me. I know that this whole expedition is in very, very good hands, as well as mine as the expedition leader. So I'm very comfortable with with what we're trying to do, and because of that support, I don't I don't feel lonely. Sometimes you've got to make some difficult decisions, but that's what you're paid to do as the expedition leader. Um, personally, I think I probably have a different management style to Shackleton, and um, I don't see myself. In any way like him, he was an incredible character. Um, but I'm not. I'm not Shackleton. I'm John Cheers.
2: You don't. You don't uh, encourage everyone to have a bit of a sing-song every night, that kind of stuff.
3: <laughs> well, um, I'm. I'm very happy for people to uh, you know, play games. We've. We've tried to do a whole range of different events on board. I'm still looking forward to you dressing up, Dan, as Rose from Titanic on the bow oh, when yes. we get into the um, into the ice. So that would be a, a, a good thing for all the crew to watch. I'm sure there'll be lots of cameras out for that. So, yeah, um, I think you've got to allow people to express themselves, to allow them to yeah, have a good time. You know, They've got to remember this, not just for the adventure, but for the people they've met and you know, what they've experienced together. And, and part of that is enjoying yourself whilst you're here. And if that includes a sing-song, then yes, I'm happy for a sing-song. And, by the way, uh, I've... Found out that uh, there are some very talented musicians on this. Um, Mike, one of the K-Max engineers, is a very good guitarist. So there could be could be sing songs when we're in the ice. All right. I
2: look forward to that enormously. What What are you looking forward to in the ne- the next phase? Well, finding the wreck.
3: <laughs> that's number one. Uh, finding the wreck would be incredible um, because this is probably the world's most difficult shipwreck to reach you know, Shackleton called uh, this part of the the, Weddell, the Western Weddell Sea uh, the most evil part of the most evil sea in the world. So that would be number number one for me. Uh, number two is to see a Ross seal. I've never in 25 expeditions I've never seen a Ross seal. Uh, they're very rare. they live deep in the pack ice. We know that they, they live in the Weddell Sea. Uh, so I'd be delighted to see, see that and uh the third thing that uh you know after i've done those two would be to um have a game of football on the ice i'm looking forward to that and i'll try not to get injured this time
2: yeah last time wasn't there wasn't there a bit of a pile you, you threw yourself selflessly on the ball to defend defend your goal and everyone jumped on you
3: that's right yes i was a goalkeeper and uh it's the expedition uh team against the south african crew and the south african crew don't uh don't show much mercy. So I got trampled on in goal.
2: <laughs> so you've got unfinished business. Yes,
3: yes, yes. I want to keep a clean sheet in the next football game against the South African crew.
2: Thanks, John. Hope you will let us talk to you again before the trip is out.
3: Thank you very much, Dan.
2: Pleasure. you listen to Dan Snow's history. I'm in Antarctica. More coming up after this.
0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: Let's get this close. Right, so now I'm going to go down... I'm going to go to the sixth floor, six, level six. I'm going to have a chat with Menson Bound. You'll have heard him before on this podcast. He's the lead maritime archaeologist on the project. The genius who thinks he's worked out where endurance is and who's demarked the search box for us to try and survey. He's left a boot in the door. Coming in. So, Menson, when you're cabin now, we're looking out the windows and we're seeing little growlers come past, little tiny icebergs. It would have been fatal for an old wooden ship, but we don't have to, well, a big steel iceberg, we should be okay. It seems like a while ago since we were chatting in in the UK about this uh,
1: wreck-finding expedition. How are you feeling at the moment as we approach the ice? Hi, Dan. Yeah, how do I feel? Uh, On on the one hand, exhilaration, how can I not feel exhilarated. I have to be made of stone not to feel excited about what's ahead of us in the next couple of days. But on the other hand, there's there's this huge buildup of... of, Anxiety, you know. Uh, last night was the first night I really wasn't able to sleep. You know, tossing and turning, and I got up and started to read Shackleton's South as I do. And yeah, no, I'm, 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 worried. But just think, what was it uh, six weeks ago? We were in London together, and we were talking, and we had how great this is going to be and stuff. And you were speculating upon our success. I mean, you were very positive, and I think I was perhaps not so positive. You know, I'm a sixty percent guy. You were sort of like ninety five percent. But uh, yeah,
2: and what is keeping you up? Just I mean, is it is it the fact that you're the guy who's brought us to this little X on the chart? Uh,
1: yeah, I still feel a little little roar about what happened in 2019. We just went charging into the pack like we were Renaissance Conducieri or something like that. We were so arrogant and so so full of ourselves. <laughs> we came out like we'd been thoroughly horsewhipped, which we had been the pack beat us and you know then you know i had to sort of stagger back to england and you know you let everybody down you know from the people in the trust to the people who backed us and all that kind of thing it was and somebody had to carry the can and you know it was kind of really me sort of thing so so i i just don't want to go through that again
2: once those underwater vehicles are dropped beneath the surface is it just a matter of waiting for you or, or is there something you can do from the ship remotely to to change the outcome?
1: No, once they're down, that's pretty much it. Uh, I mean, th- th- there's huge excitement. I, I, I love the bit when they dive and then you, you have their, you sort of follow their descent profile, and I love that. This takes a while for them to get to the seabed. But once they're down there at 70 metres, you know, they're on their way. Then, you know, there is that great moment where maybe, just maybe, out of all the darkness and gloom, suddenly there will loom the endurance. I mean, that, my God, you know, that just sends shivers up my spine to think about. I was thinking the other night, you know, as you know, lay in bed thinking about these things, you know, what would I like to see, kind of thing. One of the things is, is we got on the stern of the ship. The star, the, po- the, the five-pointed star. The uh, remember, she was originally called Polaris, the, the North Star. Well, that star is still there, and the words "Endurance" are, are, are above it. So, if we sort of came up under the stern, you know, wouldn't that be brilliant? Just think about it. I mean, I, I think the stern will be proud. Just under the counter, we look up and like there it all is: "Endurance, Polaris." You know, woo.
2: This is the thing that's been bugging me recently because I'm obviously, obviously, I think it's the most exciting thing I've ever take, undertaken. And some people occasionally, during interviews, say to me, What's the point of it all? <laughs> I go, Well, if you're asking that, you're not going to get the point of it all. What do you say when people ask you, like Why do you put your life's work and your effort and all this money and time into finding this shipwreck?
1: Yeah, I mean, normally in maritime archaeology, I'm, I'm chasing information particularly new information. That's what science and archaeology is all about. But I I cannot pretend that there's going to be a lot of that on the endurance. But, you know, the whole thing, you know, exploration in its broadest sense, you know, it's all about uh, man's boundless urge to be always pushing at his frontiers, expanding his boundaries. That's what this is about. And if ever we as a species lose that then we become a very petty thing
2: i find myself saying it, it matters because it just does matter so many people around the world so many people are in find this story so engaging and remarkable and inspiring that they are just fascinated by it and that's that's the end of it it's okay to, to find it fascinating like that
1: Yeah. uh, Yes. I mean, of course, there's the the Shackleton side of it, and you're right. There's a whole world of Shackleton enthusiasts out there, and he was this inspirational leader figure. This, this, this. This great man of the snows uh, and you know this is the embodiment of his story this is his ship you know and you know it will be great i think if we do find it i think there will be a sort of rush to sort of reevaluate shackleton and i think a new profile of him will will emerge which is, which is going to be absolutely fascinating
2: we were caught in a um oh, was a big uh, big iceberg just out the window now waves crashing on it he would have called that a tabular a tabular oh,
1: form yeah. wouldn't he um You see, that's what I love about down here. I mean, that is 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 what it's you know it's poetry in motion. It's brilliant. And just before you came into my cabin, I was standing at the window, and all of a sudden, this uh, this very old uh, wandering albatross suddenly just glided by. You know, it's the first one I've seen on this trip, and I mean, that is absolutely magical. And you know, the the wanderers they are the great ship followers of, of, of Antarctica. So he's going to be circling around us, and he'll come back again in probably a few more minutes. You know, it's just wonderful. And the iceberg out there, look at that. I mean, you're looking at ice there, Dan, which could be, I don't know, 3,000 years old. I mean, we're really reaching back in history with that, that berg. I mean, that was formed right up on the hard earth of Antarctica. And then it sort of gradually ground its way down it towards the sea. And then it went out over the sea as, as, a, as a great lip of ice. And eventually it broke off and now it's, now it's melted down to what it is there. Wow, just look at that. And I bet if we were closer, we could see some penguins on it too.
2: Oh, really? There's
1: still penguins living on it? Yeah, I mean, it's quite high-sided, isn't it? But I'm betting around the other side there's probably a, a lower patch there. And yeah, the penguins would be up on, like, up on that like a shot.
2: Um, I came. Through, we we both came through this big storm a couple of days ago. It was gusting force
1: ten, big seas on the starboard quarter. Wait, stop! what you're going to say. You're going to say Shackleton and the James Caird, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. I just it left me thinking. Started. I was I was on deck. Yeah. I was cold, and I was wearing all sorts of clothes. And I would just been about on deck for about thirty seconds. I thought I, I don't get it. They, I have no idea how they did it.
1: Yeah, 14 days, you know, in, in a boat like that, 22 foot long in seas like this. this these are the worst seas in the world, Dan. These are the Cape Horn seas. Everything that passes under Cape Horn is here several days later. That's what they're up against. And those monster waves, there, that, that that time when Shacklin looked up and saw the, the, the great wave coming down upon him. I've been in that situation myself in a fishing boat. We were actually knocked on our beam ends by, by you know, monster wave. I didn't actually see it. I was on the bridge, but I was sitting at the chart table and all I heard was the mate yelling out hold on and the next thing I knew we were just absolutely fired right across the bridge and there was the mate, there was a me and there was a bosun who was at the wheel who was from Honduras and he was praying in Spanish and we were just waiting for the next wave to come along and you know we just knew it was going to happen and the next one would just roll us over, over we'd go, down we go and that would be it. But the next wave never came. You know but that was what happened to Shackleton, that monster wave and you do get them. It was every one wave in every 800 or something like that is a monster wave. But you see the thing is every Everything is coming at us from all around the world. You know, the circumpolar current, and it goes all the way around Antarctica. So, you know, those great Cape Horn greybeards that we saw a couple of days ago, they have what we call a lot of fetch. You know, They, they, they go back a long way. There's a lot of energy in those things. and Yeah, it was boisterous. We took a biffing, didn't we? So Yeah, did you get seasick? Come on, be honest.
2: No, I was lucky. I didn't get seasick. I was too excited watching the great waves crashing over the stern deck and hoping that the uh, scientific equipment was going to be okay. But I, I did just come away thinking, well, that's absurd. How do you
1: solve that? Yeah, no, I, I struggle with that. One too.
2: Coming, we're coming into the western Weddell Sea now. How many ships have, have visited this where we're at now?
1: So how many ships have visited this part of the world uh, where we're at now? Let me just think. Well, it starts in 1823 with uh, with Weddell himself in the James and the Balfour. He got down to about 70 70- Four degrees, which actually is pretty good when you think of those old ships, and then you get to the eighteen forties, and then Ross, of course, in the Erebus and Terror, was in the Weddell Sea, and then you jump ahead, Anton Larsen, the great whaler, was down there in the eighteen nineties, uh, the great Scott explorer um, Bruce, he was there, what was it, around about nineteen o two, and then long came Sh- long came Shackleton, but that's about it. The, the The Weddell Sea wasn't mapped at all. It really was. Uh, terra incognita. And as you and I were saying the other day when we were looking at the map on my cabin wall, there's that great expanse of, of what? Of, of, of nothing where we're heading. It's uncharted territory. You know, there are, there are no lines there, you know, because they don't know what the lines are doing. You know, it's, it's, it's remarkable what we're heading into.
2: Yeah, so since Shackleton, there hasn't been a, a huge amount of um, survey work and, and traffic down here, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, well, yeah, I've been a lot of scientists, especially since the... Uh, 1940s, uh, since after World War Two, uh, and one by one they have sort of been solving the mysteries. But uh, this is this is the ultimate place for us to be heading, and in terms of modern day science, in terms of understanding what's happening to our planet, you know, there is no better laboratory in the world than Antarctica, and especially this area we're heading into now. Where. You remember the gap in the ozone layer a few years ago? That was discovered you know, more or less where we are, the Weddell Sea. The British scientists discovered that. And, you know, there are major things happening right within these waters out our, right outside our window right here, Dan, that you and I can't see, but everything is in transition. And none of it, I'm, I'm afraid, is very good. Let's change the subject. Yeah. Talk of something better. i got a question to put to you. There's a rumor going around, around this. Not, not me, nothing to do with me, of course. You know, I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, but there are people... People on the ship were saying, why aren't you growing a beard? Dan Snow, I mean, some of us are, look at me I mean, and, and, and not me but there are people on the ship who are saying this is the reason why Dan is not growing a beard is it because he perhaps cannot grow a beard what do you say to that, I mean yes, I'm secretly, I am,
2: you've got my it's, I'm like one of those 18th century women who joined the marines and and, uh, and uh, Hannah Snell was her name, and fighting in Bengal, I'm actually a woman in disguise yeah, good question, I just I've been shaving every morning, I don't know, Manson should I be going, is this the Antarctic, am I not looking warry enough
1: in the Antarctic? Well, you're Well, I mean, of course, one difference is you have these great chiseled jaws that the rest of us don't have. But, you know, we we kind of think that, not me, not me, others, uh, that maybe what you can cultivate is a little bit of peach fuzz and not much more.
2: Well, I'm going to go away and grow my beard now, now that there's a rumour afoot. Thank you very much, Menson. Next time I talk to you, we'll be actually looking for that shipwreck.
1: Wow. Yes, indeed. Will we find it? Stay with us, folks.